0: Men, please be seated. If you have a copy of God's word with you, I invite you to open to the epistle of First John chapter 4, we'll be finishing chapter 4 up this evening as we look at verses 17 through 21. First John chapter 4 verses 17 through 21. Listen now as we read God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word, beginning in verse 17. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, as we come now to your word, we do pray that you would reveal to us what it is you would have us to know, that you would show us in greater measure the great depths and height and the breadth and width of your love for man, and you would show us that in your love, we may love one another. We pray that you would help us, Lord, as we come to your word. We ask in Christ's name, amen. I wonder if any of you have ever used a microscope and you set it up, you get the slide out with whatever is on the slide that you'd like to observe and you place it there on the tray and you look through the lens and you see something. And so you switch lenses and zoom in and you see something else. And you switch lenses again and zoom in even further and you see something else. If you've ever done that before, maybe you have noticed that the Apostle John has been doing something very similar in this chapter that we've been studying the last few weeks. Not quite zooming in and zooming in and zooming in again, but he has been going through this doctrine of Christian love and going from one part of the doctrine to another to another as kind of a step of stairs going down or as zooming in with, a microscope. He started off in reminding us of the reasons why we love. You remember this is also connected to the fact that he just told us uh, to not believe every spirit. Reminding us of the necessity of both good doctrine and good practice in the Christian life. And he told us these reasons for love, the whys. And then from there, last week, we saw some of the evidences of love and this great and glorious truth of abiding with God and God with us because of the great love which God had for us. And this evening, John turns the, uh, the lens of the microscope, if you will, and goes to blessings and benefits of the great love which God has for us and which we have for God and reminding us, reminding us that because of God's love for us, we need not fear the Lord our God in an improper sense. John this evening reminds us that Christians should be confident in the love of God because of the great depths of God's love which produces love in us. Christians should be confident in the love of God because of its great depths which produce and produces love in us. So we'll look at this text this evening in three different headings. First in verses 17 and 18, we'll look at this confidence that we ought to have in the love of God, confidence which we should have. In verse 19, we see the source of, of love, the great depths of the source of love, God's love for us. And then in verses 21, or excuse me, 20 and 21, we'll see uh, the product this love produces because of love's requirement. It produces something in us. Love for God, love for the brethren. Three headings which I hope will help us to uh, delve deeply into this great doctrine and see the conclusion of John's uh, progression in the doctrine which we have before us. With that introduction in mind, let's go to the word of God and see what John teaches us about this doctrine of love. First, Christians should be confident in the love of God. We see love's confidence in verses 17 and 18. We read there, by this love is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now once again, you see that John uses this this logical marker in saying in this or by this, relating this text to that which was uh, previous to it, verses 13 through 16, we saw this doctrine of abiding in God's love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides with him. And so John relates this text or this idea to that which came before, but I think he's also relating it to verse 12 where we read, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. John is reminding us that the truth of God's love for us, the truth of abiding with God, all of this should remind us that love gives us confidence. The love of God gives us confidence. John says that by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. God's love, which produces Christian love, I believe is the focus here when John says uh, this love, uh, by this is love, the love he speaks here, I believe is primarily God's love for us. It's not necessarily our love for one another or even our love for God. John says that it is perfected. Now, you have probably noticed here that John mentions perfect love or perfection or perfected several times over. And when a word is mentioned many times over in a text, you know that means that it's pretty important. So what does John mean here when he's talking about love being perfected? Is John saying to us, well, dear Christian people, I really hope that you have a love which is spotless. I really hope you have love which is equal to God's love. Is that what he's saying? This word is fairly interesting because while perfect is a good and right translation of it, I don't think that fully encompasses all which the word means. This word also means to be brought to maturity or completion To fulfill its task to do what it is supposed to do to ripen if you will so when John is speaking of this love being perfected he is talking about God's perfect love being poured out in us but he's also talking about this love doing what it is supposed to do in our life that is namely changing us pointing us to Christ the Savior reminding us of of who Christ is and what he has done for us. It reminds us that we, because of the work of the Spirit in our hearts, do indeed love. And if you skip down to the end of verse 18, it speaks of whoever fears has not been perfected in love. That is love which we have. It's speaking of the fruit of love in our life. Not that we have perfect, complete, uh, totally spotless and blemishless love, but that love has done its work. You might think of a fruit tree, and I know this is an illustration which has been used many times over, but I believe since the Holy Spirit calls love a fruit of the Spirit, In Galatians, it's very appropriate of us to think of love in terms of fruit. Something that we have experience with. An unripe piece of fruit is still technically a piece of fruit. But when you pick it before it's ripe, it has not yet come to full maturity. It's not yet complete. When you do pick it when it's ripe... It might not necessarily be perfect. When you think of a perfect apple, it might be beautiful and flawless in the skin. There's, there's no imperfections. It's bright red. It glistens. And when you take a bite of it, it is the sweetest and, and firmest apple you've ever had. But a ripe fruit is a ripe fruit, even if it has a slight blemish on the side of it. Even if it might not be the sweetest apple that you've ever eaten, it's still ripe, even if it's maybe a little bit grainy and you don't like that, it's still ripe. Christian love is much the same way. When the spirit works in us and we do love, loving God, our, our savior, our father, and loving the brethren, even if it is not completely perfect, and it won't be because we still do have a remnant of sin in our life, if it's real love, it has been brought to completion. It's still love. And it has done its work. The spirit has done his work. So this word perfect. I think it's appropriate for us to keep in mind as we read through and study through the rest of this text. Has to do with completion and maturity. And so dear Christian. if As you're reading this. All of a sudden you're like ah. Perfect love. I'm not perfect. Remember. If the Spirit has produced love in you, it is truly love. The Spirit has done his work, and the love of God has produced that which is supposed to be produced in you. Why is all this important? Well, John goes on to tell us why, proper understanding, why the work of love in our life is important. It gives us confidence for the day of judgment See, knowing and believing the love of God and growing in Christian love for one another produces great confidence before God in us. It reminds us of who we are in Christ, not who we are in our own works or in our own good deeds, but who we are in Christ. It reminds us who we are in relation to the Lord God, the King of heaven and earth Reminds us that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. With all of that in mind, we have confidence before God. John talks about the day of judgment. He doesn't elaborate. He takes it for granted as word, that we know exactly what he's talking about. And we do. Because there is one day when every single one of us will stand before the throne of God whether that is after we close our eyes in death on this earth or whether that is Christ returns in glory before we die, we will stand before the Lord's throne. Will the judge of all the earth not do right? He will, but dear person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, Christian, you may have confidence As you stand before that throne. Not because of who you are or what you've done. But because if you trust in Christ. If you have taken hold of him by faith. You have been washed of all of your sins. In God's sight there is no more spot of sin on you. You have been given the righteousness of Christ. Clothed in his very own robes you may stand before God with full confidence and full assurance because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. That is why we have confidence, because the love of God has been poured out upon us in Christ, because we have taken hold of him by faith, the faith given to us by the Holy Spirit, and because we stand before God, seeing him not as the judge ready to condemn us, but as our heavenly father. We are able to say, I don't bring anything that I've done, but Father, I plead the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. We may have confidence. John gives this phrase because as he is, so also are we in this world, and it's a slightly odd phrase. It stands out a little bit like a sore thumb in this text, I think. What does John mean by this? Well, he uses a, a, a present indicative as he is, and the he is, I think, very evidently referring to Christ. He says, as Christ is now presently, so also are we in this world. What does he mean by this? Christ is presently seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. Christ has full acceptance by the Father. That is what his resurrection proved And evidence, Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth and is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Christ has all the Father's acceptance and love. And as he is now, so also are we. Christians have all of the Father's love and acceptance. Why? Because we are united to Christ. We are in Christ we are in the sight of God even as Christ is because we are Christ's. We have been grafted into him. We've been united to him. We don't have to earn the Father's favor in this world. We already have the Father's favor because of Christ. We don't have to earn the Father's love. We have all of the Father's love because of Christ. And because of that, we are need not fear, we may have great confidence. That's what verse 18 continues to tell us, is we don't need to fear God. Now children, maybe some of you are thinking, since I just said that, wait a second, I know that the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and I know that we're told to fear God, but you just said we don't have to fear God. Are you contradicting the Bible, Pastor Tim? Well, no, that is a very good question. And no, I am not contradicting the Bible. We are supposed to fear the Lord. But there is proper fear of God, and there is improper fear of God. The proper fear of God is recognizing who God is. He is the Lord. He is Holy holy, holy. He is almighty God. And he's not a man like we are. And so proper fear of God is recognizing who God is and and revering him, reverencing him, worshiping him, saying, this God is great and greatly to be praised, to be feared above all God, to be served. What This proper fear does not mean, and the fear which John is talking about here is being terrified of God. Of every time we think of God, we are shaken and frightened, and we don't want to see God because to see God would be scary. John says we shouldn't have that kind of fear. So the Greek word for fear is where we get our word phobia. Maybe some of you have had phobias. Maybe you are aware of many phobias. When I was a kid, one of my friends memorized a whole list of a million different kinds of phobias. Like, I can't remember what the words are. One of them was the fear of long words, and ironically, it was a very long word phobia or maybe you've heard of arachnophobia that's the one that I can remember it means the fear of spiders and I remember that because I don't particularly like spiders but these phobias which some people have are fears which which terrorize them and render them uh, incapable of functioning sometimes Uh, someone with real arachnophobia might see a, a spider and they scream in terror, maybe they would even run out of the room or, or fall on the ground shaking because they're so afraid. We are not to have a phobia of God where when we think of Him and who He is, we fall on the ground in terror shaking, thinking, "Oh no, is he going to strike me down?" No, we must have proper fear of God, a reverence for God. John tells us that this fear he's talking about is an improper fear of God because he says it has to do with punishment. Fear has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Those people which do have this phobia of God don't understand the love of God. They see God only as angry and wrathful and ready to strike them down at the drop of a hat. Is God a God of wrath? Yes. He is angry against sin and those who sin unrepentantly. Is God holy, holy, holy and of purer eyes than to see evil? Yes, he is. Is God loving and gracious and kind? Yes, he is. And those who understand all of these things about God and who know the love of God, who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, know that they don't need to fear God as the one who will punish them because they know that all of the punishment which they deserve was poured out on the Lord Jesus at the cross. If you trust in Christ this evening, you don't have to fear. Fear has to do with punishment and Christ took all the punishment which you deserve. So, because you understand the love of God and because the Spirit has given you love for God, you don't need to fear. You have a Father in heaven who loves you and who one day when you stand before his throne, will welcome you into his presence and worship. Why is that? Well, because God is loving. And we've gone around this, but let's look at verse 19 because this is such a short verse, but so terribly profound. Love's source is God. We read in verse 19, we love because he first loved us. This is an incredibly famous verse, not quite as famous as John 3.16, but I'm sure you probably at one point in your Christian walk have encountered this verse and perhaps have memorized it. Maybe you memorized it in the King James and you've memorized it. We love him because he first loved us. Well, I think by context, the hymn, which is present in the King James, is actually here in verse 19, though perhaps in the earliest manuscripts it was not. What is John saying in this verse? Verse which we know well, verse which we recited often, what is he saying? First, John says we love, or we are loving presently right now. John's making a statement of fact. Christians love they do. John takes it for granted. He doesn't say Christians should love. He doesn't say that Christians might love or they ought to love. He doesn't say that love is a feature of some Christians but not others. Like version 1 loves, version 1.2 doesn't. No, Christians love. Who? What? Well, Here, I think it is, by context, apparent that John is chiefly talking about vertical love. We love God. This, I think, is what John is primarily focusing on, but in addition to this, and because of this love, there's a horizontal aspect. Vertical, we love God. Horizontal, we love others. We love Christians. We are to love the brethren but beyond that and amazingly and I believe in miraculously we love those who are not of the brethren we love those who might otherwise be our enemies we love the unbelievers strangely or not strangely maybe but amazingly Christians are the only ones who are actually truly able to love their enemies We are ones who, because we have seen the love of God, because we we know the love of God in Christ, because we love Christ, we want other people to see that as well and we want other people to love Jesus as well. And so we are able to go to the unbelievers and, and tell them about Christ and say, look, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If you trust in Christ, he will save you because God is loving and he loves to save sinners. We love John says, but why? Why do we love? How can we love? Where did it come from? How did it start? We love because he first loved us. John doesn't say we love because we're good people. He doesn't say we love because we're just able to muster it up in ourselves. It doesn't say we love because we're wiser than others. No, we love because God loved us. This is a wonderful truth, isn't it? This is an amazing truth. God loved us. God loves us. God himself is the spring through which love bubbles up and flows over. God loves us. When did God start to love us? God loved us before we even existed. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. The Lord loved his people in eternity past before he made them. Before Adam and Eve were created in the garden, God loved his people. Before anyone ever thought that That you might exist in your family. God loved. This is amazing. The eternal God in eternity past loved his people. When did God start to love us? We can't put a date on it because there was no date when he loved us. Which is a great truth because if God loved us in eternity past if he didn't start to love us at some point in time he's not going to stop loving us at a point in time either is he if the eternal love of God springs forth from the eternal God then it is eternal love so God never stops loving his people in eternity future when we are in the presence of God worshiping him and praising him God will love us just as much then as he loves us now. God loves us just as much now as he loved us when Christ went to his death on the cross. And God loved us just as much at that point when Christ went to the cross as he loved us in eternity past. The love of God is amazing. Oh, the height and depth and the width and the breadth of the love of God. It is amazing. We love Because he first loved us. God's love isn't reactive. It is active. It didn't start as a response to man. But man's love, our love, exists only because of the love of God. I think this is a good point to ask a searching question of ourselves. Are you trying to earn God's love? I think so often we can think of the love of God and we can say, yeah, God loves me. That's beautiful, that's wonderful. And then in the day to day, we forget or don't consider the depths of his love. And we sin and we think, I sin, maybe God doesn't love me anymore. Or we sin and we think, well now I've got to do something to make God love me again. Dear Christian, when you sin, you do need to repent. That is evident and true in Scripture. We must repent, but you cannot earn God's love. If you are in Christ, you have all of God's love because you are united to Christ. So you don't need to try to earn God's love. You need to understand that even when you sin against God, He loves you. And it's because of his love that he calls you to repent and turn back to Christ. But if you find yourself thinking, I need to earn God's love, I I need to obey him so he loves me more, you've missed the point. The Lord demonstrated his love for you on Calvary. And he does not stop loving you when you sin. Remember that when you sin. So that you can repent. And flee to Christ. Who shows you the love of God. We love because he first loved us. And because of that. The Lord calls us to be a loving people. Love's requirement, verses twenty. And 21, first, we see here a false claim. We see this command to love one another. We read in verse 20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother we love because he first loved us, but very often people can say, well, yes, I love God. Of course I love God, he's God. Who wouldn't love God? And yet, John says that if we say that and we hate our brother, we've completely missed the point, we've completely misunderstood love, we are liars. We don't actually love God. It's a false claim. This claim is saying, I obey the first great commandment. Sure, I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, but that second one, love your neighbor as yourself, I don't like that. So I'm not going to do it. John says here, you cannot, you cannot say the one and reject the other. You can't act like the second commandment is optional. It's a command of God. Love of brethren is evidence for love of God. You know, I'm sure through experience, that when you love a person, you begin to love a person, you begin to love the things that that person loves. Married people, maybe you can think back to when you first started dating your spouse and in the early days, you thought what is this weird hobby that this person enjoys? That's strange. But then a few months later, as you fell more and more in love with them, you began to think, well, this isn't actually that bad of a hobby. In fact, I'm kind of interested in it now. And then before you know it, you're looking up YouTube videos on knitting because your wife loves to knit, and you are like, oh, here's a new method of knitting. You begin to love those things which the person you love loves. It's natural. It happens. It happens. How can you love God and not love those things which he loves? John says it's impossible. You can't love God and not love his people. Why? Because God loves his people. And when you love God, you begin to love those whom he loves. It's not perfect. It's not complete or as complete as we'd want it to be, but it is there. If we say that we love God but we don't love what he loves essentially we act like god is just an imaginary friend who likes all the same things that we like and doesn't like the things we don't like and we're not loving the true and living god because if we do we will love those whom he loves we will obey the commandment which we see in verse 21, this commandment we have from him. It's a commandment. It's not a suggestion. God says, do this. I love you. I have saved you. You love me. Do this. Love the brethren. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, John will say in our passage next week that his commandments are not burdensome. And I thought about delving into that a little bit more, but I'll leave that till next week. His commandments aren't burdensome. It doesn't mean that they aren't necessarily difficult, but they aren't a burden dragging us down. You remember in Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim had his burden of sin on his back and it drug him down. And sometimes Christians can act like after they've been relieved of that burden and they want to obey God, they're putting another burden on their back. And they act like they're a little child who's put all of his books into his backpack and slung it on his back and he trudges one step after another and they act like God's law is just so difficult. God's law is perfect and we are not. And it is difficult to obey God when you're not a perfect person. But when we love God, we want to do what he says. So it's not like we have a huge weight strapped on our back, but rather we have instructions for our life. We have the map, which God says, all right, here is the path which I would like you to walk on. You trust in Christ. Keep looking to him. Keep following after him. And when you do that, you'll walk in these ways along my path. And the way to the celestial city be much easier than if you try and do it on your own way we obey god christ said that if we love him we do what he says we love christ so we do what he says the commandment is actually two-part love god and love the brethren we maybe find it a little bit easier to obey the first part we see god's love for us we recognize that, we rejoice in that, and we say, God loves me, I love God. And then we look at the second part and we say, well, that person doesn't love me as much as God does, so it's a little bit more difficult to love him, but it is a command. And by God's grace, through the work of the Spirit, as our eyes are fixed on Christ, we can obey this commandment and bear fruit Maybe not the perfect, bright, shiny apple that we might like, but we can bear fruit nonetheless because of God's grace. There's a few searching questions as we end. Do you love God? Do you? Do you love Him? Good. My assumption is if you're here this evening, you love God. Perhaps, though, there are some who do not. But if you do, let us rejoice in that. That is a wonderful sign in our lives. We love because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. If you love God, it's an uh, an evidence that God loves you. So, do you love God good? Now, do what he commands. It's easier said than done, certainly, but... If you love God, then love what he loves and hate what he hates. Kill sin in your life and walk in his ways in full reliance upon the spirit. Let your love for God be evident in your life. Love him and do what he says. The other searching question which I would put forward to you this evening is, do you think you love God, but you don't love other Christians? There's a great many people in this world today who say, yeah, I love God, I believe in Jesus, but just don't want anything to do with the church or with other Christians. They're all hypocrites. I don't want to be a hypocrite. The sad fact of the matter is we are sinful people and yes, we are often hypocrites. We should repent of that and turn back to Christ. But if you think you love God but you don't love Christians because they're all a bunch of hypocrites, you can't stand them, you don't want to be around them, examine yourself in light of this text. Consider whether or not you actually love God because... If you love him, you love his people. If you say you love God, but you don't love God's people, this is pretty serious evidence that you do not actually love God. But here is some exceptionally good news for you this evening, if this is true of you. The Lord will forgive even that. And if you trust in Christ and you ask God, to give you true love for him and true love for his people. He can and will do that because our God is a saving God. The Father loves and he loves to save sinners. Christ loves and he loves to save sinners. The Spirit loves and he loves to save sinners. The triune God is a God of our salvation. And so, if you see evidence in your life that leads you to believe Maybe I'm not in Christ. Maybe I'm not abiding with God and he with me. Turn to Christ this evening. Cry out to him. Ask him to save you. And trust in him to save you because of the great love with which he loved us, which should give us confidence before God because God loves and has called us to love. Remember these things this evening, brethren, even as we close now in prayer. Our Lord and our God. We marvel at this great love with which you have loved us. That we love because you first loved us. And we thank you, Lord, that we can have great confidence before you because of this great love which you've shown to us. Oh, Lord, remind us. Remind us of the love which you showed to us at the cross. Fix our eyes upon Jesus so that we can walk after him. And in coming to love you more and know you better, we would love others even as you command us to love. We ask that you would do this for your glory, Lord, because we, in and of ourselves, cannot do this. But we want to obey you because we love you. Help us to obey, Lord, we ask in Christ's name. Amen take a few moments now to